0: Man, hey, good morning, City Light. Uh, so good to be here with you today. Uh, my name is Jason. I get to join everyone's pastors here. Um, man, I, I just sincerely say it's good to be with you. I just was longing and anticipating this morning, just like, man, I can't wait to worship Jesus with the church today. And so I love you guys so much. Uh, hope, hope everyone's doing well. I was, um, some of you may or may not know, this is kind of a side note and has nothing to do with the sermon, but I do the bulletins or what if you want to call it a bulletin, whatever this little thing is, and, and the way I, I type it up for typos, read it, and then print it one time and look at typos, every week there's a typo in there, like it doesn't matter, there's a typo, from last week, and then I find it the next week, and I was reading it at the bottom, and it said, if you're interested in be a serving team, please feel, and but it was the wrong fill, so it was like, I'm like, I'm glad no one went around touching people last week, and so I was like, no one said anything, you guys are so gracious, like, don't don't point it out, hopefully he'll catch it next week, and so you guys almost, like, start a competition, let's see how many typos he has in there, because it doesn't matter, read it once, print it, read it again, it doesn't matter, like, it just, I can't, for the life of me, not have a typo in the bulletin, but I just thought this week was kind of funny, there's a difference in the feel, so, uh, side note there, I, I laughed at myself this morning, sometimes I think we need to do that, so, Uh, We are going to continue to be in James, and humor is one of those ways we can deal with the tension. Um, Only one amen? (laughs) Sarcasm is another way? Amen? Uh, We are acknowledging, James is acknowledging, that there are difficulties in life, that there are pursuits, passions, desires that we all have. There's tensions of both hope and despair and anger and happiness, hope and love, and anxiety and fear. And we see in the book of James, we see a pastor who loves the church. And he is writing to a church that's persecuted and dispersed and scattered. And he wants to affirm and encourage them in their pursuit of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about probably one of the most taken out of context passages, a highly philosophical passage. And what I wanted to do is really try to simplify it so that we can just say, I get what he's saying. And so my hope in that simplification is we can grasp and understand a very basic and fundamental thing about our faith. The, the message of our faith, it, there's a continuity that goes throughout Scripture. So there's no text that counters the other text. If, if we're reading and we think it counters it, then there's an interpretation flaw on our side. So my hope today... I'm actually, I'm really proud of myself. I have a Gen Z uh, application and a millennial application, which is not contextual to anybody in here, because I'm not even a millennial. I think I got kicked out of millennial um, by definition, and so I don't even know what generation I am. I'm that generation. (laughs) But I have a millennial application here, and those of you like, I don't even know what a millennial is. You don't need to, and you don't even really need to care. It's that overlooked generation. So... I have an avocado, right? Some of you guys are like, what is that? Millennials know what this is. I just need avocado toast to go along with it, and then the application would be, be great. So I have an avocado here and an avocado seed. So if we think of the seed like faith, the fruit of our faith is Works. And so what James wants us to see is that within the gospel, a seed or faith is a lot of promise, a lot of hope right here. If I were to plant this in the ground and put soil on it and then water it, and then in five years nothing happened, the message of this seed would prove not true, right? Because the hope of this seed, the promise of this seed is this, And so, if we take this seed and put it in the dirt, and this doesn't happen, then we can rightfully be disappointed, right? Is there only, like, one gardener in here? (laughs) I I legit planted, like, 30 pepper plants one year and didn't get a pepper. I I was extremely disappointed, and I thought I had bad seeds. The, The reality is, it was probably a bad gardener, but nonetheless, it's easy to point the finger. So if this doesn't produce this, then this is worthless. This is of no meaning and no value to anyone. All this does, if it doesn't produce this, is take up space. It uses, it uses resources. And so even if this avocado seed were to grow into a tree and didn't produce this what would we do with the tree? We would cut it down and get rid of it and plant a fruit-producing tree in its place. And so what I want us to see is how works comes from faith, or faith produces works, or we see that, that the fruit of faith is works. You tracking me? Is this a good application, you guys? Like, if you used an apple, I would understand, or a pumpkin. Like, I'm not getting the avocado analogy, Right hopefully. So let's open up to James. Let's read chapter 2, verse 14, and let's see what he says about this. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but not has work? Do you see the the connection or the relationship? Can that faith save him? And so what What James is saying is that when we accept or acknowledge that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that we believe we are separated from God, that we have sinned and need forgiveness, when we receive that message and take that seed and put it into our heart, it produces something that is external. Do you understand what I'm saying? So... If we take the seed of the gospel as James called it and plant that into our heart, then there's a visible production of that gospel. And if you say you've accepted Jesus, but there's not the works, then have you really accepted Jesus? Are you tracking with me? Because this is substantial You have to understand that the church, in this day and age, is living in a culture that's not their norm. They're primarily Jewish. They're dispersed into Gentile cities, and they're also being persecuted. And so there's a tendency, when you're persecuted or in grief, to want to shelter in place. To not step out into the world and continue to do what that implanted word should do, and that is multiply the gospel. So he's saying, church... I understand your wrestle with living in a culture that's not your own. I understand the distinction between you and him. That's why he said there's no partiality. I get that. But if you have said what you've said, and it's actually what you believe that Jesus is indeed your Lord and Savior, then there has to be works. And if there's not works, is there really a gospel that you've accepted? Or what gospel have you accepted? Because there's two human tendencies that we drift towards in the church or even outside of the church, the false gospels, and the one is legalism, which those of you that know your Bible understand and see that with the Pharisees, where we define such a pattern of life that we say this is what it looks like and that's not it, and the other one is say that Jesus died and set us free and he's forgiven all of my sins, so now I can do whatever I want. So there's this unbalance towards freedom and then this restriction towards legalism and James is trying to help us understand what the application of works is and he defined that earlier as the royal law or very simply loving your neighbor as yourself. And so James is saying, if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, within your heart is a desire to move towards those who need you to be merciful towards them. Do you understand the tension there? Because in a hurting, and broken world, if we're moving towards people who have a distinction from us, there's there's a tension there. But James is saying, that's that's the faith that saves. So he continues here, and he begins to unpack it. So if, if you're a Bible thing, you need to outline or underline, can that faith save him? And he continues in 15, he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food... So he begins to make it practical for us, and one of you says, "Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things they needed for the body. What good is that? Do you see what James is saying should happen within our heart, that our heart should develop a merciful heart, a heart towards we have a love, just like parents. Like you, if your kid was outside, Ryan was outside yesterday with shorts on." you know what I did? I mean, get in here. Like, put some pants on. You know, like, what do you, if you saw someone you loved not clothed properly, what, there's going to be an instinct to say, man, let's, let's get you dressed well. And if you can look at somebody who Jesus loves and walk away from them without addressing their needs, then do you have the faith that really saves and so he's saying that implanted word creates within us a merciful heart to move towards those who need to have mercy given to them. And understand that's not just for this sinner, that's also for those who believe that they're good. Both equally need the gospel. So he says in 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is where it gets a little bit hard. But if we take this application, if I plant this and nothing happens, is it alive? No. If I plant this and this happens, then the message in this is truthful. Then the message of this is what I believed it to be because it produced this. And so James is saying, if you've implanted the gospel in your heart, here's what I expect. Here's what you can expect. And here's the beauty of it. If you have this in your life, then you have this too. It's evidence of salvation. Do You get the security in that. James has been incredibly merciful to us. He's saying Satan might lie to you, but if you've got this, if you love those who Jesus loves then you got Jesus. So don't, don't believe the lie that says you're not saved when there's evidence in your life. But if there's not evidence, then let's be honest about the message. He's incredibly practical. And that's why the reformers would say, faith alone saves, but faith is never alone. So what he's doing is he's taking the same argument that Paul takes in Romans 3, because we know that salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul makes that argument in Galatians 2 and Ephesians 2, and in Ephesians 2 he says, salvation is by grace alone, lest no man shall boast. And so James isn't saying that work saves you, Jesus alone saves you. But he's saying, if Jesus has saved you, there are works that are produced from that. Are you tracking with me? Because we got to have that. Because James kind of gets into a part here where some people take it out of context. In verse 18, he says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see what he's saying? So let, let's go back to this here. So he's saying, if you're telling me you have this, I don't really know if you have this. But if you have this, then I know you have this. You, are you tracking with me? So if you're saying you have a faith, then I have this. So you, you show me, your, you can't show faith, you can't show hope and promise. But if you have the fruit, then I see it think of it like this. Uh, actually, let's read uh, verse 19 a little bit more, because then i want to unpack. I'm excited to get to my uh, Gen Z analogy. It says, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. So he's saying right, th- right theology doesn't save. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? This is where it gets a little bit sideways with people. What, 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? This is where we get a little bit sideways because now we're starting to think that it's works that justifies us. We believe that Jesus Christ alone saves, that no works can produce salvation, that when Jesus died on the cross, he, he paid the penalty for sin. And if we simply trust and believe that penalty was paid by Jesus, we're saved. But he says something that's kind of like, what are you saying, James? Are you going against the rest of Scripture? And he's quoting the same passage that, that Paul quotes back in Genesis. If you read back in 19 and 22, it actually says that Abraham had, was faithful and it was counted to him as righteousness before he offered Isaac. And so we gotta try to understand, James, what are you saying? He's speaking philosophically. Here's the best analogy that I can come up with. Or maybe I just wanted to use it because I love this. How many of you invested in GameStop in the last month? <laughs> yeah. Two. Three. How many of you know the story of GameStop? Every wow, this is awesome, right? How many of you thought about investing? One. <laughs> Tim has four shares. Yeah. So, what happened was a group of, I don't know, primarily Gen Zers or on a, on a thing called Reddit got together and they said, Hey, if we invest in GameStop, here's the message. If we invest in GameStop, we can drive the price up we can get, and we can get rich. So, millions of people came together and banded together and invested in GameStop. That's just the message, right? That's all. If we do this, then, then this will happen. If we invest in GameStop, we get rich. And, and you know what? It happened for like a day. <laughs> they did. They drove the price up to like, it went from $40 a share to like $400 or something, right? And, and so like for a day, people were like, I'm rich. This is great. I can't believe it. I'm a millionaire. And then like a week later, they were just a normal person again, right? Good message. A roller coaster ride, that's a good story. And so, like, you're part of history in that regard. But for those who invested with the message was here and then cashed out when it was $400, they were validated in doing what they did, right? That's 10 times your investment. They believed that there was something hopeful, that the message was truthful, and the fruits of it was a substantial windfall and a financial gain. And so what James is saying, that the works justifies the message. It's it's philosophical. I know that's kind of hard to understand. But your works proves the truthfulness of the message. So the person who made millions of dollars can look to other people and say, you should have invested too. I made millions of dollars. Do you understand? And so he's, he's saying when Abraham went... His works is validating that God is faithful, that God's promise is what it is. And so when we accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and experience the transformation, and our neighbors see that, our works are justifying application or the acceptance of the gospel in our life. Are you tracking with me? So he's saying the works proves the truthfulness of the message. That's a hard concept for some people to understand because what happens is we come back towards legalism or we pursue a righteousness that's not our own. And so James already said that theology in and of itself doesn't bring about a righteousness. Demons believe and shudder. I've never said this publicly, and I, and I have nobody in mind in here when I say this, but about five, four or five years ago, my shifting preached, it, 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 the way I preached, tra- changed almost radically. And, and some of you guys are like, it's changed radically over the last year. You've gotten a little bit better to God's grace. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but five years ago, like I was looking at some bulletins from there and i was like oh my gosh this is like an encyclopedia this is crazy i i didn't think i had something meaningful to say unless i was teaching something and and once i had something to teach i would assume application and and i thought the role of a preacher was to teach and and so they were incredibly heady sermons and and what happened was as i was preaching god's grace i was pointing people to the cross in in a very um, almost, uh, some of you guys were there, so you remember how bad it was, um, <laughs> academic style of setting, and, and what happened was I didn't see the gracefulness or the fruits that I was hoping, and, and so when I started to look at and pray about my preaching, what I realized is that people were learning, which isn't a bad thing, but they were deriving a righteousness from that learning and they were leaving feeling good about having learned something and they derived a righteousness from that that made them feel like they had inter- interacted or come before the person and work of Jesus Christ when they hadn't all they had done is close themselves in a good feeling of having learned something and so James is kind of help us to understand that works the best works the pure works is that which draws us towards the widow and the orphan and we are drawn towards a righteousness or a legalism that isn't clothed in the gospel. And so what I realized is by being so heady and preaching such profound, almost, the, almost focused on the mind and leaving the heart off the table, I wasn't going after the whole person. And so instead of having people who were graceful, I was, I was seeing a lot of legalistic people. I have nobody in mind in here, so please, I'm telling you that I, for a large part of my preaching ministry, I think a preacher for like the first four or five years, like you're just bad, and the church has to deal with it, <laughs> and so like <laughs> I don't have anyone in mind in any of this. I'm just trying to help you understand, like I, we learn from our mistakes, and, and so I learned that if I want people to come and know Jesus, I have to chase after both the heart and the mind, And I can't assume application. And so I began to shift, become less heady, and chase after the heart a lot more. Because if I was going to miss, I was going to miss chasing after a person's heart. Because if you miss chasing after someone's mind, what can happen is they can feel really smart, really good, righteous. Some of you guys are like, you don't appreciate learning. So you're like, I don't, don't, that sounded bad. Everyone in here appreciates learning, hopefully. But if you're like me, when you learn something, it feels really good. And so he's trying to help us understand that right theology. Demons have better theology than us. Demons have more orthodox theology than us. And so he's trying to help us understand that the primary place he wants us to be in is in the actual works. Because what happens when you're actually in the merciful works of loving those who love Jesus, you build a faith. Think of it like a muscle this is twice on a sermon, I didn't ask him because he's, but yesterday, Ryan loves working out, and he was working out to, the, I think he's Russian, but maybe he's Israeli, and he's like this beast guy, that's his thing, he's beast up, so Ryan takes the remote, and gets everything out, gets his man out, and he's, he's working out, he does like two dumbbells, you know, and he's like, oh, look at this, you know, I got like one pound weight, and he comes over, and he goes, look at these muscles, see how big they are, and you know what you got to do, right, yeah, these are, they're big muscles, right? Some of you guys are like, no, I'd be honest with them. <laughs> right? I, I said they were big. Because our faith is a muscle that's meant to be used. And as we use our faith in works, as we apply our faith in trusting who Jesus is, it justifies the message of our faith and allows that to grow substantially more. And so if we don't use the muscle of faith, if you will, in works, then what happens is our faith can grow anemic. But if we faithfully trust in who Jesus is, think of Tracy, if we faithfully trust in who Jesus is and say yes, then what happens is the application or justification of that message grows exceptionally more. And so if we're wrestling with the promise, we're probably not applying the application in works. We're not exercising, if you will. Does that make sense? So it's not that we're saved or justified by works. We're justified by Jesus Christ. But the works is a testimony of the validity of what we believe, and it points to the right message. Think of those who are rich in GameStop. And just so you guys know, you can harass Tim because he's lost money on GameStop. Yeah, he's still he's holding on tight. The, the saying is diamond hands. Like, we're going to have diamond hands. And he's like, I'm going to have diamond hands. I think, I, I'm like, I think that roller coaster is going down. <laughs> so um, it's, everyone makes bad investments, right? And so we get to, to razzle. Um, so he, he continues in verse 23, and he says, It was scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. And so James wants us to have that communion with God and with one another. So he takes salvation out of the individual and puts it into the community or the corporate. He's saying, when you're saved, it's not just for you. When you're saved, heaven alone rejoices and the church gets a new brother or sister in Jesus Christ. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And what I love about what James is doing here is he just talked about there being no partiality in the gospel and he takes a rich landowner like Abraham and then a destitute prostitute like Rahab and says they're both saved. Do you understand? Right there. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith from works is dead. So as Christians, if we say we have Jesus, then we had better have works or we've deceived ourselves. If you have works, think well, he's already defined, a love and a mercy for people, then you got Jesus and you can rejoice because your works is testifying to the truthfulness of the message you have and you're far richer than Tim ever would be. Because you have Jesus. Like, you believe the right message. Tim had no idea I was going to razz him. I didn't know I was going to do this. There's going to be a counseling session afterwards. I'm like, Tim, I'm so sorry. Like, I love you. I'm sorry. (laughs) So we might need some of you guys to help mediate that. Um, But if we have faith, then we have Jesus. If we have works, we have Jesus. If we don't have works, then what message are we believing That's what James simply wants us to understand. In a world that is broken, in a world that persecutes, we can't draw back and step back. Instead, we have to pursue and love those who need to be pursued. We need to be merciful to those who need mercy. If we step back, who's going to step forward? Who's going to fill the void that our world needs? And so if we think about application, it's pretty simple. It's to do something. It's to pursue someone. It's to love someone. The book of James is about the church learning to be hospitable to people. The passages that James referenced were all about hospitality. One of the reasons we encouraged you to pursue your neighbor and love your neighbor is so that you can live with the fruits of Jesus working in your life and believe the gospel message all the more. It wasn't so that your schedule would be busy, you guys are already busy enough. But as a pastor, the best way I can testify to you that the gospel is what it says it is and that there's hope and promise in the gospel is to see you live out its implications on Monday and the rest of the week. I forgot the rest of the week. <laughs> Sorry, Tuesday, yeah, skip Monday, right? That's the back to school day. Skip Monday. That's what we have. And so if we don't have the works, let's ask what message we're applying. And if we have the works, let's rejoice in the message we're believing. Because our works justifies our faith. It proves that it's truthful. It's a very simple application. And so when you hear people maybe begin to want to drift towards works as a saving faith, you can say, no, no, you don't understand that the fruit of works is, comes from the faith placed in the gospel and not the other way around. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus alone, not of any man lest he would boast. It all comes from Jesus. Does that make sense? I hope this passage makes sense because it confounds a lot of people, but it's actually pretty simple when you understand it. And, and if, you, if, I, if I missed it, let's sit down and talk about it because as Midwesterners, we pursue salvation through works and completely miss the grace of the gospel. And so we we have the grace of the gospel, which gives us the fruit of works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. You're an incredible God. You've been gracious to us. You have pursued us in a way that we do not deserve to be pursued. You have pursued us in a way that is merciful and tender, but specific to who we are and what we need. You have taken your message and tailored it through the Spirit's work in our life so that we would be receptive to it. You have pursued those who are far from you, Lord. And so I ask that we would be a church that would pursue those who are far from you, that we would see the necessity of works in our own life and in the church's life so that we could feel, man, this Jesus is is who he said he is. Would we exercise the muscle of faith so that we can see the fruit of works and glory all the more in how you're moving? Could we hear James' message and see how we are truly a friend of God by our faith and trust in you? Could we see that trust in you displayed in the works and the love of those who you're pursuing through us? Would we be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ? Would we be the people who pursue those who are far off in a way that shows them in a very specific way that you love them, that you're drawn to them, that you have grace for them, that there is no one who's too far gone, no too far off. Lord, would there be no distinction in our heart, instead a love and a mercy for those who need to feel your love and mercy? Lord, we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.